Okay, so we are going to get started. Thank you guys so much for joining our session. My name is Julie, and this is John, and we are on staff of Summit College. We're the campus directors for Summit College in Raleigh, so that's NC State and Meredith. Um, but if we don't know you, we want to say hi, and thank you for joining. Um, so today we are going to be talking about memorizing the promises of God, both the why and the how, how do you choose all of those things. Um, and so we wanted to give, like, before we talk about the why, John's going to go over that in a second. Uh, the reason that he's going to talk about it for a little while is because we think if you're in the room, also, if memorization isn't the one that you chose, you can just stay. Uh, but if you're in the room and you are a Christian, I think all of us would say that we know that memorization is really good and it's something that believers should do. And I don't think we would argue that. But I think beyond that, a lot of us don't really know like, or have a real reason for why we memorize scripture. Um, and so we actually think that God has a lot for us when we memorize um, and that it's not just a helpful thing, but it's actually a crucial thing. And I think that the reality is that if we don't have solid reasons for why we do it, then we're never going to give time to it. Um, and why would we give time to something if we thought it was just good, but not crucial? Um, and so John is going to explain the why, and I think that will actually be a big help um, to what we do. And then I'll talk a little bit about what we memorize, and then we're going to do a workshop at the end. So that is what's coming. So John, you can take it away. Shwiggity sweet. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So I was actually really excited to write this talk because I felt like personally I had to remind myself about why it's so important to remember the promises of the scripture. And so hopefully this is compelling for you guys. I know we've heard uh, a lot of really, like a few really awesome sermons from Josh and Charles uh, where they just like really did an amazing job highlighting the beauties of God that are in his promises. So I'm just going to hit on this really quick and then we'll kind of move in more practically how to memorize. But uh, the verse that I want to anchor us in is actually in 2 Peter 1.4. So this verse says that through his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world. So this passage is saying that his promises are very great and excellent. But why are they given such reference? And why should we as believers give them such reference? I think the first reason is that the promises of God actually allow us to commune with the Lord. And two, the promises of God actually help us to escape from the corruption of this world and from ourselves. So first point it is by the promises that we commune with God, but how can something as simple as a promise do such a heavenly act, right? If I make a promise with you, it's like, it seems like a pretty small thing, but the promises of God are actually endowed with so much power that through those promises, we can participate with the heavenly being, the sovereign God. That's insane, right? So this is how the ultimate promise, the Old Testament, allows us to commune with the Lord. In Isaiah 53, God said that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, that he was crushed for our iniquities, that the punishment that brought us peace with him was ultimately by his wounds, and by his wounds we are healed. So in the Old Testament, God promised that when the time comes, he would not hesitate to exchange his heavenly crown for one of blood and thorns. He did this so that we could actually become the righteousness of God. That's like an amazing miracle that we should all be like worshiping God for constantly. It was his promise that he was actually going to come, take on flesh, die, raise again, so that when whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life is like what our entire faith is rooted in and should be like our ultimate passion and like driving force. But it's not just the ultimate promise of his death and resurrection that allows us to commune with the Lord, but really by daily meditating on the promises of God, we can experience him in our like everyday life. It's like every day that we can experience the divine nature of God. 
So for me, when I think about the insane protection that God promises in Psalm 91, when I think about that, when I dwell on that, I understand the beauty and the kindness of our Father. I actually have a very real sense of the fact that God is with me and protecting me. When I think about the love that the God promises to me in Romans 8, that there's no condemnation for me anymore, but that he who isn't willing to like uh, give his own son will ultimately give us all good things. When I think about that, when I dwell on that, that's like an insane moment for me just to be like, wow, my God loves me. There's like a very real and not just intellectual, but like spiritual union that happens with the Lord as I meditate on these things. So if these great and true promises have made communion with my God possible, why should we not be intimately familiar with them? And what way is there to be intimate, what better way is there to be intimately familiar with the promise of scripture than to actually memorize it? And if you memorize it, it's not just when you read your Bible in the morning, when you shut it, if you don't have it memorized, it's like, you might remember it, but it's not super like helpful throughout the day. When you have it memorized, it constantly comes into your brain and like uh, spurs you on throughout the day. So that's the first point, that the promises of God actually have this insane power to give us the divine, to let us partake in the divine nature of God. The second point is that 2 Peter tells us that his promises actually allow us to escape the brokenness and the corruption of this world and our sinful flesh. If you're like me, you're probably wondering, how is it possible that a simple promise or simple promises are able to free me from the depravity of myself because I know how gross I am, but also just how terrible and broken this world is? How could a promise promise possibly do that? So I kind of like to think of it like this. I think the promise of God is like our ultimate end goal. And as we orient our lives towards that ultimate end goal, it allows us to like leave behind decay and destruction and move towards the end goal. But not only is it like our North Star and beacon that we're moving to, but it's also kind of like bumper rails. It's like in the daily grind of life, the promises of God as they enter into your brain actually help align your actions and your heart towards the Lord. So let me explain that a little bit more. So the way that Paul explains it is Philippians 3.14. He says, forgetting what lies behind, which is like death and corruption, and then straying towards what lies ahead, which is like our eventual resurrection and redemption with Christ Jesus, where we don't see him through a mirror dimly, but we actually see him face to face. So by looking towards that, I strain towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. So what he's saying is that by looking forward to the ultimate redemption, to our ultimate uh, crazy, beautiful union with Christ, where we don't have like this wall between us anymore, but we're actually like physically in the presence of God, by looking forward to that, I'm actually able to leave behind this like depraved self that I am and I walk towards the beauty of God. Now I do that over a lifetime. I actually grow more and more in the image of Christ and I actually am able to leave behind the depravity of my flesh. So that's kind of like uh, the ultimate promise to gear your life on. It's kind of our North Star, it's our beacon, right? That we will one day be resurrected with Christ and have ultimate union with him. And I kind of like to think of this as like, uh, when I, I like to hike a lot and I always hike on the East Coast because that's where we obviously live for the most of us other than St. Louis, but they're not here. And one time I actually flew out West to hike in the summer and I didn't realize this, but in like July in like Washington, there's like still three feet of snow in the mountains, which was news to me. So we're hiking and we're on this trail and all of a sudden the trail goes way under snow and I'm just completely lost, right? We have no way to get there. I was with a guy who was like a way better outdoorsman than me. And he like opens up a map. He figures out which way we should go like with a compass. And like he's hey, like, hey, we're just gonna walk this direction no matter what. And at the end of the day, hopefully we end up where we need to be. And so the entire day, even though we had no trail, even though we were kind of confused where we were, we just pointed ourselves towards one direction. At the end of the day, we actually hit our campsite. So this is kind of how you think about the ultimate redemption and resurrection that we'll have with Christ. If you just gear your life towards that one truth if you just keep going after that one truth over the entirety of your life, I promise you 
you'll be sanctified. You'll leave behind your old death and corruption that your flesh will no longer have control over you. And by the end of your life, you'll actually look way more like Christ than you look right now. But also I think the promises of God are, yes, it's like this ultimate goal, the promise of our redemption with Christ, but there's also promises that I like to think of as like uh, bumper lanes, kind of like I said earlier, right? So let's, let's say this, like, let's say I'm like going after God. I'm like trying to be obedient and I'm really scared to share the gospel because I'm like scared of what my friends think. So I'm like starting to veer off my lane is the promise in Luke 12, seven that says, if you acknowledge me before man, I will, Jesus Christ will acknowledge me before the angels. So I'm like scared about what people think of me. And I remember Luke 12, seven, it's like this bumper lane that I hit and I veer back because I'm like, man, God loves me. He's gonna hold me up before angels. Of course I can share Christ with my friends, right? So that's how a promise kind of keeps us on track in the day to day. Another way that promises keep us on track in the day to day uh, is like, let's say you're someone who really struggles with like uh, self-hatred or um, just thinking you're not worthy of anything, right? So you're like walking, you're trying to get this ultimate redemption with Christ, but you're like, you know what? I'm useless. I'm like, no one likes me. What am I even doing? It's the promises of Psalm 139 that says like, hey, no, the Lord actually knit you in your mother's womb. He calls you fearfully and wonderfully made. And because of this promise, you don't have to like spiral into self-hatred, but you actually can know that the Lord loves you and made you amazingly well. The third way, like for me personally, I felt like the Lord has called me to Summit College staff. And if you guys don't know, to be in this job, you have to sport raise, which means you just have to beg for money, essentially. It's not that, but it feels like that a lot of times. And I was like, I don't think I can raise this much support. So I feel like the Lord's calling me this way. I feel like this is like the path of obedience. But that's a lot of money. I don't think I can really support raise that much. I'm going to start veering. Is the promise of Matthew 6, where he says, hey, seek first the kingdom of God, and I will provide for you financially. That promise that I cling to and am able to hold on to allows me to actually steer back on the path and then walk towards the ultimate goal of redemption with Christ. So the two points again, one, through the promises of God, we're actually to, uh, able to experience the divine nature of God. We're actually able to commune with God. And two, uh, it actually allows us to escape the corruption of this world and also our sin. So since it is the promises of God that we find power to unite into the divine nature of God and escape the depravity of this world and ourselves it is imperative that we are deeply familiar with these promises, right? And like I've already said, what is the best way to be familiar with the promises? It's actually to memorize them so that you can have them dwell in your heart and they can feed you every moment of the day, not just in the morning when you read your Bible. So that is why I think you guys should memorize promises. So next, I think it's like really uh, helpful and motivating and like helps build zeal to know this truth about why you should memorize. But it is also practically hard to know which promises actually do apply to me. There's a lot of promises in the Bible. Some of them do apply to us and some of them don't. And sometimes I'm reading Leviticus. I'm like, which, what am I supposed to take? Like, what is happening? You know, like what promise actually applies to me? So I'm just going to give you a few points, a few like roadmaps on how that looks. Uh, and my first point with that is when you're looking at a promise of God and you're trying to decide, hey, can I claim this promise for myself or not? The most important thing is the context of the scripture. So if you don't understand what that scripture is saying in context, be very hesitant to claim that scripture. So the classic example, JD uses this all the time, is Philippians 4.13, right? It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which sounds like an amazing promise. I can do anything. If Christ strengthens me, oh my gosh, I'm going to become a millionaire. I'm going to play in the NFL. I'm going to climb Mount Everest. I can do anything because I have Christ. But when you actually look at the context of that scripture, what Paul is saying is that, hey, even though I'm in destitute poverty, God is going to strengthen me to be able to endure destitution, <laughs> He says a very different promise than like, oh, I'm going to play in the NFL. It's like, no, it's when I'm homeless, the Lord will actually still provide for me. It's super different. So that's just one example. There's plenty of examples we can go through. 
But just the most important thing is whenever you claim a promise of scripture, really understand the context and what God is actually trying to say. So with context, uh, the, anytime you're reading a promise in scripture, the context is really one, only one or two options. It's either in the New Testament or the Old Testament. So I'm going to talk about the New Testament first. The New Testament is uh, honestly just much easier to know if that promise of scripture applies to you. If you see a promise in scripture in the New Testament and it's geared towards the general believer, you're able to claim that promise. So anytime in the New Testament, if it is talking to the believer or the uh, church, you're able to cling on to that. So a promise like Romans 8.32 that says, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. Oh no, my sheet just got deleted. Uh, this is awkward. All right, Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So Romans 8.32, that's like a general belie- promise to the general believer. You, when you're reading that, you can be like, hey, that's about me. That's awesome. Let's memorize this thing. Now let's talk about the Old Testament. It gets a little bit trickier with the Old Testament. Uh, but the first thing that I will say is that even, uh, even though the context of that scripture will likely often be geared towards Israel, and you're like, hey, I'm like a, I'm like a white dude in North Carolina. I'm not like an Israelite in the, like 2,000 years ago. That actually still does apply to you. Even though you're not Israelite, any promise made to the uh, nation of Israel does apply to you. And the reason is Romans 11. So Romans 11 actually says, uh, that we have been grafted into the body of God. We have been grafted into the new Israel as believers. So when you're reading the Old Testament, if you're like, wait, the context seems like this is not talking to me, a church member, or a love of God. It's like talking to Israel. It still applies to you. So you're good to go. Um, so an example of this that I cling to all the time is Isaiah 41. It's, he's talking to Israel in Isaiah 41. He says, do not fear for I'm with you. Uh, do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a beautiful promise, right? Like he's upholding me with his righteous right hand. And the reason I'm allowed to use that, excuse me, the reason I'm allowed to apply that to my life is because I've been grafted into the new Israel. So any promise in the Old Testament applies to you if it's given to Israel. Uh, But the confusing part is that since Christ has actually come and fulfilled the old covenant where he's actually died and rose again, there's some promises that uh, you have to do a little work to actually apply to yourself. They're still true, but they might not be, uh, you can't really take them at face value. So let me give you an example. I think it will help clarify. So Leviticus 5 says this. It says, if anyone sins, they're bring to the priest a guilt offering, a ram from the flock. Give it to the priest. He will sacrifice the ram and they will be, the Lord will forgive them for their sins. So that's a promise, right? If you sin, bring a ram offering to me or Julie and we'll just get our knife out. We'll stab it. We'll just, you'll be forgiven, right? You're totally good. No, all right? That's ridiculous. Don't, I don't even know. That'd be terrifying. I would hate that. So don't do that to me. But what the promise is saying is that because Christ was the ultimate sacrifice, you're actually able to repent and look at the atoning sacrifice of Christ and God still promises to uh, pay your sins. Is that kind of making sense? Is that a little too deep in the Okay, sweet. There's a couple caveats that I'll add to these is that um, the book of Proverbs, I've tried to claim a lot of promises out of the book of Proverbs in my life, but the word proverb just means a general truth. So there's like saying sometimes that are generally true, but not always true. So an example of that in Proverbs is like, look at a man skilled in his labor, he'll stand before kings. That's like a general truth, right? That's like, so what it's saying is that someone who's good at their work will have a like large area of influence in their work, which is generally true, but it's not a guarantee that if a man who is skilled at his work uh, will actually stand before a literal king one day, right? 
And so an example that people often use as a promise, which probably shouldn't be, or definitely shouldn't be used as a promise, is Proverbs 22.6. It says, raise up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not turn from it. Which is like amazing general truth that I'm, I have a daughter named Eden. I pray this over her all the time. It's like, I really hope that when I raise her in the way she should go, when she's older, she'll be a believer. But I can't claim that as a promise that if I raise her correctly, she will definitely be saved. It's just, it's a general truth that's not guaranteed to be true. Second caveat is Psalms is poetic and should not be taken as 100% literal. So anything that's in Psalms is true and is like 100% a true promise you can claim. You just need to be like a little careful about when the language is being poetic and what it's actually trying to say. So I think the most helpful example for this is Psalm 91. Uh, I love Psalm 91. I just memorized it over break. And it says, uh, the angels of the Lord will actually uphold you so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. So the context of Psalm 91 is that the Lord is just like sovereign. He's going to protect me. He's going to care for me. He's intimately worried about my well-being. But that doesn't mean I'm going to walk around with that shoes on and just be like, I can never stub my toe. Like, I'm so chill, right? It's poetic language saying the Lord's going to protect me. And then the last point that I'm going to make is that some promises are conditional. So some promises are true no matter what. There's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to do anything. If you're a believer, there's no condemnation for you. That's a promise you can hold on to. But some promises actually do come with like a caveat. So James 4, 7 is a great example. It says, uh, if you resist Satan, he will flee from you. So that's an amazing promise that I actually cling a lot, uh, cling to a lot, that if I resist Satan, I can be confident in the fact that he actually has to resist, like flee from me. But I have to make sure when I'm holding that promise that I'm actually doing my end of the bargain. That I'm not just like, hey, Satan's going to flee from me, but I'm just going to give in to temptation. It's like, no, I actually need to do my end of the work, resist him, and then he will flee from me. So with that, just anytime there's a conditional promise, I encourage you guys to claim that, to memorize it, um, but just make sure that when you are doing that, you're actually doing your end of the bargain. And so next, we're going to have Julie come up. She's going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in uh, helping us memorize, and we'll do a little workshop. But while I do that, I see the post-lunch sleepies. Oh, it's so They're drowsy. so real. So I need everyone to stand up, stretch, wiggle a little bit, get the sleepies out, and then we'll get started. <laughs> Matt was falling asleep back Matt there. Matt was falling asleep on the slides. That's why the slides were a little slow. Stretch it out. I know it's real. Chick-fil-A does it to you. We've all been there. Okay. When you, when you wiggle a little bit, then you guys can take a seat. Um, okay. Now we'll reel it back in. Um, but yeah, I hope after hearing John's reasons that God does really have like good and great and excellent promises for us that he read in the beginning, um, that you guys are all excited and just spurred on and want God to reveal himself more through the word. So now that you know the why, we want to, like he said, we want to actually talk about how do we choose what to memorize and also how we really are doing all of this with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so the way that we want to approach memorization, like you can just approach it randomly and that's not bad, but a way that we want you guys to approach it is to actually ask in prayer what God wants to say, both in the moment, like when you read in the morning or something, but also throughout the day, like invite the spirit into what God wants to say to you. And so because we want to invite him in, a few things, um, two things to know about the Spirit um, when we do this. The first is that the Spirit teaches and brings to remembrance. And so we see this in John 14, 
verses 25 and 26. It says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, I've spoken these things to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so after Jesus goes away and he's not physically with them, which is us today who have the spirit, but can't physically see Jesus right now, we have the Spirit who will help bring to our remembrance all that was said to us, which we can read through the Word. And then the second thing to remember about the Spirit is that He will guide us into all truth. And so John 16, verse 13 through 15 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. This is Jesus speaking. He says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what's mine and declare it to you. So if he teaches and brings to remembrance and guides us into all truth, then we have to acknowledge that there is a need for truth. And so when we think of the way that we live our life and the way that how many thoughts pop into our mind every day, there are many times, whether that is through our past or through insecurities or fears or whatever, there are so many times that we exchange the truth about God for a lie and we operate out of lies and misbelief. And so when you think of either like, I don't know, there, I mean, there could be so many things even in this room alone, but when you think of things that your parents have said to you, or when you think of things that teachers said to you or friends or like kind of the root of where insecurity or fear comes from, these can be so deeply rooted and we have just chosen to operate out of them maybe unknowingly for years or decades. And so that just dictates how we live. And so based on that scripture that we read, we need the spirit to help guide us into all truth because we often will exchange truth for a lie that can feel really real. Like when you think of the things that that make you the most nervous or scared or this fear that causes a lot of anxiety all the time, like that can feel like it's reality. And we choose to operate as if that is truth instead of what God has said. But when, if you actually think about those, it's like, when did someone ever tell you that you are not enough? Or when did someone ever tell you that like God actually doesn't care about your future? Like all these things that are deeply rooted, we don't really know where they came from and it's not the Lord. Um, and so that is why there is a need for truth. And so the way that we see God lead us into all truth, like it was said in John 16, is actually modeled in Psalm 139. So I'll read these two verses for you. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And so what we see is that it is not us that has to search our thoughts. Because if you guys are like me, my thoughts are all over the place. And all the time I'm like, I have no idea what I'm feeling or why I'm feeling it. And I just need to verbal, like verbally process with someone because it's like throwing spaghetti at a wall and hoping I can find a meal out of it because they're all over. And so the good news from this is that we actually don't have to be the ones to search because we don't have that in our power, but it is the Lord and the spirit that does the searching. And then it says, search me and know my heart. So he actually searches and knows our heart and he knows what we feel before we feel it. And then at the end, it says, lead me in the way everlasting. And so a few ways that I have seen the spirit do this for me, um, a lot of times in 
like honestly my whole life as a believer, but I think specifically a lot in college, it is really easy for me to feel like, whether that's when I read in the mornings or just, yeah, honestly, a lot of times throughout the day for many years, it's easy for me to be like, God, I feel like I'm holding up my end of the bargain, but you're not really meeting with me and you feel really far. And I'm trying and I'm doing all the things, like I'm praying, like I'm told and I'm reading and I'm having my quiet time and all these things, but it still feels like you are really, really far. And I remember coming to this realization that that is how I felt. And ultimately the lie that I believed was that God Like I'm asking, I'm saying these prayers to God and he just really doesn't care. And so he's content with distance with me. And in college, I remember the spirit led me to this passage in Acts 17 where Paul is, he's on his missionary journey and he is preaching to this group of people that have altars that say to the unknown God. And so I'm sitting there in college and I'm like, I'm watching everyone around me worshiping their own version of God's, whether that's partying or sex or whatever it is. And I do know you, but it still feels like sometimes you're really far and I don't. And so then I like, I'm reading this and I'm like, yes, I relate to that a lot. And then Paul goes on this whole thing of saying like, it is God who made the world and everything in it, he gives to he gives to mankind himself and life and breath and everything. And then in the end, the two verses that I feel like the Spirit helped me see truth to compare to the lie that I was believing, it says in Acts 17, this is verse 26, it says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So that's the first thing is that I was sitting there being like, does God even see me or know me or know where I am? Does he care? And then I read this and it's like, he actually determined really specifically and he knows really intimately and specifically where I am. And then it goes on and it says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being. And I that just really exposed, I was like, man, I feel like I am seeking and crawling and hoping that I can find my way to God, but it feels like he's not meeting it. And it's like, no, Julie, actually, like he is in, like it says in him, I live and I move and I have my being. Like he is the breath in my lungs and he is when I step and when I wake up and when I go to sleep and he's actually not far at all. And I just remember being like, wow, I need to commit this to memory because otherwise my feelings want to dictate. And so then I operate as if God actually isn't near. Or like, I feel like a common one, honestly, that a lot of believers feel, um, and it's hard to admit, is that I feel like sometimes in insecurity, it can be like, I, or at least for myself, I can sometimes in doubt feel like I am going to one day get to heaven. And when I see God, he's going to be like, Julie, like you were so close, but you like just missed the mark. Like you did all the right things and you really tried to know me and you tried your best and you did everything almost right, but you, you just missed it. And I think that exposes like a really deep, deep rooted, like fear or a lie that I can believe. And so I think hearing scripture, that's like, no, your salvation is kept for you in heaven. Like you are entering heaven on the righteousness of Jesus, not on what you do is actually such a comfort because I don't have to worry that I'm going to hear like one day I'll hear actually well done. I won't hear like you were really close, but you didn't quite get it. And so those are a few ways that I think the spirit has used this idea of him searching my heart and revealing something. I was able to identify 
what is the lie that I believe and then find truth that um, comes against it. And so this uh, scripture is going to be the basis for this like workshop that we're about to do. And so, like I said, it is the spirit that's going to do the searching and the revealing once he reveals something, we get to identify it. And so the way I think about this is like, imagine all the times that you guys have like talked with a friend or you've been like verbally processing or a friend or a mentor or whoever, and you're just saying all this stuff. And then they ask you like one really pointed question or they say like, hey, it kind of sounds like you feel like this or this is how you think or whatever. And you're like, oh my gosh, like you just put words like to how I feel and I didn't know it. And if our friends that do know us really well can do that, imagine how much more the spirit can help us do that if he knows us so much more than a friend. Um, And so that is what we're going to do. So with this workshop, first, I'll lead us through a couple questions. Um, But we want at the end of this, we want everyone to walk out with at least one verse um, that is very pointed to a lie that you believe. But in order to do that, we need to uncover the lie. So For the first thing, what I want you guys to do, I'll explain it and then you can spread out, is we want you to pray and ask the Lord to reveal if there are any areas in your life that you have been either too fearful to bring to Him or if there are, I mean, you can think, I put a few examples up there, but is there any like recurring fears or anxieties that you keep having? Or is there like past trauma that you're like, nope, that is a can of worms that I just can't unpack. So we're not going to touch that. Or things that were said to you in childhood or done to you or anything that has somehow rooted this fear or lie or insecurity or anything in you. Um, So you guys are going to have, Matt is going to play some cool beats for us and you guys are going to have a few, hopefully they're cool. uh, (laughs) You guys are going to have a few minutes, like five, um, and you can spread out wherever you want in the room to do this, but really just pray and ask the spirit to search you and try to uncover, like, is there a deep, deep rooted lie or fear or something that I have? Um, and then we have a few more questions after that, but you'll do that first. And I'd love to pray for us and then you can spread out and then I'll bring us back. Um, yeah, God, thank you for, your word that really does pierce hearts, but also God, thank you that like you, Holy Spirit, both know the mind of God and you know like our minds and our hearts and our thoughts and our fears. And God, you say before a word is ever on our tongue, you know it all together. So surely you know the the deepest rooted like fears and insecurities that actually dictate how we live a lot of the time. Um, So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help uh, like uncover those right now, that you would help us like, as you search our mind, you would help us be able to put words to something that actually like affects us a lot, that um, we fear we are not good enough for people, or we fear that we can't measure up, or we fear um, that there actually is condemnation or whatever it is. Um, Please reveal it to us so that we can understand better how to fight it. Um, So yeah, God, I love you, and I know you actually want us to walk in truth, and thank you that you guide us into all truth. Um, So I love you, and I pray that in Jesus' name. All right, I'm going to move us on to the second point. You can stay where you are. Um, So once you have like a fear or a lie or something that you believe, the next question that I want you to ask is going to come up soon. Um, And it is from this fear or a lie, how does that show you like a root disbelief or a misbelief or something about God. Um, Yeah, so how does this reveal what lie you believe? And so 
when I was praying for you guys just now, I feel like one thing that can either be common or maybe this is for someone specific in here, but an example is that I feel like it can be really easy to be like, man, I, like I am a Christian, but like, is this really all that there is? Like I do my little devotions and it's really great. And I'm a Christian in college, but at the end of the day, like, is it really all that it's cracked up to be? Like, it's a lot to count the cost. And so if that is a thought that you have, it's like, okay, I actually, that is rooted in this lie that God is pretty boring and there's not that much to the Christian life. And so if that is you, that might be your answer. But if it's not, that is kind of how, we want to frame this next question or even like before with the Acts 17 story. It's like, I felt like God was far and it was rooted in this lie that God didn't care to commune with me and be close. Um, and so, yeah, for this next question, you're going to have a few more minutes just like you did now. But from what the spirit did when he searched your heart and revealed a fear, now go to the deeper root of like, what do I actually not believe about God? If this fear manifests itself this way, where's that rooted in? Like a fear or a lie about God. So you'll have a few more minutes. There will be music again, and then I'll bring us back. All right, so now if you have a more specific lie that you feel like the the fear, the insecurity is rooted in. Um, obviously, we don't want to just stop there. And so we actually, okay, will you raise your hand if you don't have that handout from the session this morning? Because we have a lot of extra ones. Because you're going to, well, you might need it. Okay, John can pass them out if you don't still have it. Um, but basically, what we want to do now is, like I said at the beginning, we want everyone to walk out of here with one, um, at least one scripture committed to memory. And so what I want you to do now is you have, your heart has been searched and you have found the root lie that you believe about God. And so now what we want to do is we want you to find a verse in scripture that shows you why that actually is a lie. And so um, it can be, the reason we want to hand these out or make sure you have them is this is a really helpful tool, but also you definitely don't have to use this at all. So whatever your lie was, try to find a verse in scripture that is that shows you why this is a lie about God. Um, and then after this, we're actually going to do an exercise for memorizing this verse. So we're going to give you just like two minutes to find a verse um, about about your lie that you that was shown to you. And then I'll lead us through this little fun exercise. All right, so now we are going to all practice together a method for memorization. And so, like I said at the beginning, we're all going to walk out with at least one, one verse committed to memory. And so now hopefully it's a verse that actually speaks to something that you don't believe about God. So this method is called the five by five by five. And so what this stands for the first five is that it only takes five minutes. So I think if any of us look at our day, we're like, oh, there are so many things that fight for my attention. I have no more time to give. But in reality, we do have five minutes somewhere. So we can talk later um, about examples of where we think we could give up five minutes. But all that to say, the five by five by five, it takes five minutes. And what you're going to do, so it's going to get loud because everyone's going to be talking at the same time. But what you're going to do is it's five minutes you read it five times out loud with your Bible open. And so this means like 
you you can have your finger follow it and you can make different inflections so you remember each words or however you want to do to memorize this verse. But you read it five times out loud looking at it and then you close your Bible and you say it five times not looking at it. And so if you get all that done in five minutes, you can go five by six by six or five by seven by seven or whatever you want to do. But ultimately, this is supposed to take five minutes. And so everyone, if you are like me and you get distracted with people talking right next to you, you can spread out a little bit in the room. Um, But yeah, we're going to do this all. So everyone choose whatever verse you just picked. And then we're going to commit it to memory right now. There might be a a popcorn quiz at the end. Um, And then, yeah, we'll bring us back for a conclusion and questions and all that. So you have five minutes. As soon as you spread out, everyone should start talking. So ready, go. All right, guys, that was five minutes. That honestly felt like forever. You did it. Yeah, scripture memory. Okay, so for this next part, we have like 10 minutes left in the session, something like that. And so what I would like us to do is if you'd be so willing and bold, I'd like you to try and practice the scripture you just memorized to so say it aloud from memory. And then if you're, you don't have to share this part, but if you'd be willing to, it'd be really cool to hear just the ways that the spirit uh, highlighted something in your life that the Lord is really correcting. So I'll share my story for a second. Um, so for me, the Lord really brought up, I've just never felt like I'm worthy to be a minister of the gospel, to actually like, be in ministry. And I was just praying to the Lord, asking like why that was. And the phrase I felt like he said to me, which is scriptural, was like, the measure you use has been measured back on you. And he just showed me in my life how I'm actually very critical of other people. And because I'm so critical of other people, eventually that started turning back on me where I was very critical of myself. So any mistake I made just made me feel really unworthy. And so then I was like, why? Like the second question of how does this fear reveal lie about what you're believing about God or yourself? Uh, It just really revealed to me that I believe that significance, like the reason I'm in ministry is because of my own uh, significance. And so the passages I memorized, which I've already forgotten, if I'm being honest, uh, is 2 Corinthians 3, 5. It says, not that we are competent ourselves to claim anything from ourselves, but our confidence comes from God. And so that's just really helpful for me to know like, hey, I'm not a minister of the gospel because I'm really talented or because like I'm excellent or all these things. I'm actually a minister of the gospel because the Lord made me competent to be a minister. And because of that, I don't have to be as critical of myself. And I also shouldn't be as critical of other people. And so that's just the lie that the Lord highlighted to me and then the scripture that I was able to memorize. So is there anyone who's bold enough or daring enough to share? You can start the scripture so you still have it on the top of your head. Uh, scripture that you memorize and then also the lie that the Lord uh, highlighted to you. Yes, sir. Do you want the mic? I'll come to you. Don't worry. Um, so the scripture I memorized is Romans 9, 8, which says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Um, (laughs) um, And for me, um, I think I've always really struggled with just trusting in God to provide for me in the future. I've always felt like I needed to handle that with myself. Um, And so just like throughout life, I really found myself idolizing school and grades and things like that. And one of my biggest struggles in college is trying not to prioritize my schoolwork over my quiet time with God and spending time in the Word um, and just being able to trust in Him in that. Yeah, that was amazing. Thank you so much. That was a great example of like 
the Spirit highlighting something to you that was like a little off, but then also using a promise in Scripture to kind of help correct you and have that little bumper bumper lane. Anybody else feeling bold? Heck yeah, let's do this. Do you need this or you think you can yell? Trevor, you, yeah, you got it, you got it. That's amazing. Praise God for that. That was awesome. That was so good. Yeah, any, any girls feeling crazy? Oh. oh, we got two. We'll start here and then we'll go to Sarah. Here, I'll give you this mic. Um, I actually thought it was really interesting that I had two lies. Oops, I wasn't talking into this. Um, and it was yours and yours, Trevor. And this was actually something that the Lord had revealed to me earlier this week. And I, so one of them was, I'm not enough. And the other was, God won't provide for me and my needs. And earlier this week, um, when I was kind of like, when these things were coming up, um, I went to Ephesians and read Ephesians 3, which is, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. And that really like brought me to tears and strengthened me because, number one, um, it's not about me. And the truth is, I'm not enough. But Christ is enough, and he has blessed us in Christ. Um, and so since we are in him and he's enough, it's okay that I'm not enough because I'm covered by the one who is. And then the, um, the next thing that that verse really um, spoke truth to me about was that um, he will provide for me because he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Like, I... I have everything in Christ because I'm covered by him who is perfect and who is enough. And I've also been listening to this song that has the lyrics. Um, it goes, I'm having a brain fart, but um, <laughs> um, hold on. I don't like speaking in the microphone, but um, what are the lyrics? <laughs> um, Okay, the brain's not working, so never mind. But anyways, the rest of that was um, relevant. That was so good. It's cool how the Lord, the Spirit was highlighting the same things in you as he was. Oh, you got the lyrics? Okay. A little verse, sorry. The journal that I uh, am writing in has a little verse at the bottom of every page. And it just so happened that Ephesians 1.3 was the verse at the bottom of this page that I'm on. Uh, so, yeah, that was cool. That's so cool. I love how the spirit moves like that. Praise God. All right. Here you go, Sarah. Um, the lie that, like, God really put on my heart was, like, that I find, like, joy to be circumstantial. And, like, things are just going really well right now. So I was like, oh, it's so happy to, like, find joy. And, like, I'm surrounded by godly community. And then, like, I was struck with the fear of, like, what about when I'm not surrounded by, like, godly community to lift me up? And, like, how will I find, like, encouragement or, like, just joy? And then um, James 1, 2 through 3 came to mind. And it's considered pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. For the testing of your faith builds perseverance. And that's just something that I've been meditating on. And so, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. Uh, yeah. And I think what we want to leave you guys with is really like 
we don't want memorization to just stop in this room, but like make this a daily habit of letting the Spirit search your heart and reveal things that you believe about God that actually aren't true, and then do the work of finding truth to like combat those lies. And something helpful that I try to think about is like, I'm like, Julie, who do you want to be in like 40 years? Like when you're, <laughs> I'm like my 65-year-old self. Uh, I think a lot of times it's really easy to think that as we get old, it's like, oh, we're just going to become like, pretty like stale and our spiritual life is going to become pretty dull but it's like actually imagine in 40 years if you've walked with God that long how much more you will like burn with the zeal for him and so in the same way set these like big 40-year goals of like memorizing scripture like I have all these dreams of like the books of the Bible that I want to have memorized that I I don't right now so don't ask me but hopefully when I'm 65 I will and it's like that will just stir up more love and affection for the Lord as you grow um and so yeah make it strive for the 40-year goal it'll help you not be disappointed when you can't memorize a verse a day and that's okay um but yeah yeah, and I think with that too, just really practically, I mean, it literally took five minutes. I feel like most people are done at three minutes. So there's just like so much time in your day when you are walking to class or when you are, I've heard of some people on the toilet like to do this. I won't name names, but uh, it's Matt. And so just like really practically think in your day that just the downtime you have where you're casually scrolling Instagram, TikTok, whatever. It's like you could be storing up memory that will actually help you fight the lies of Satan.